This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. God doesn't want to simply be obscure. He wants to be pursued. He wants us to enter into a relationship with him where we are believing that if we take a step of faith towards God, he will take a step towards us. Which means we can't be content with just settling. True faith believes in the existence of God, but also in the character of God. Wow, those are some powerful words from Pastor Josh. Do you believe in the existence of God, or do you believe in the character of God? Many people believe that there is a God, but that doesn't mean you believe in what God can do. He is more than just a mythical being up in the sky. He can change your life. Maybe you're struggling with a health issue, with a marriage problem, or with a financial burden. Today, Pastor Josh is going to remind you that if you put your faith in Jesus, He will put His faith in you. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. As he begins his message, Faith Declares Jesus is Better, part two. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to focus, hearts to understand what your spirit speaks through the word of God to our lives today. We don't want to go away the same. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, Lord, we ask that. We know that it is not possible for many human means, by any human means. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to dive right in as we've been looking at the nature of faith, taking a look at faith in context. Faith is not a a magic potion or formula. Faith is not something that we wield around in order to say the magic words and get God to do what we want him to do. No, faith is what keeps us believing the reality of the unseen so that we can persevere and endure and resist the temptation to go a different way or to somehow step away from the realities of God through Jesus Christ, that faith keeps us to the end. And that we learn today that without faith, it is impossible to please God. I'm gonna dive into that in a moment, but I mean, think about the weight of that statement. But I mean, think of it in your heart. How many of you desire and long to have God look at your life and say, I find pleasure. I'm pleased with how you're living, what you're doing. Well, faith is the essential ingredient to understand to get to that place where God is finding pleasure in my life. And so as we look and continue down the line of our teachers, we come to the next several, and as we move down the generational line, from Cain and Abel, which we studied. And in verse five, we look at the the person of Enoch. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this first point down as we continue to see the nature of faith, that number one, faith always seeks to please God. That's what Enoch teaches us. Faith always seeks to please God. Look at verse five again with me. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. 
So as we rewind all the way back to Genesis chapter 5, we see this two verses of, uh, on a commentary on one man that lived, the seventh generation from Adam. And this was Enoch, of course. And here's the commentary Genesis gives us on Enoch's life. Verse 22 of chapter 5 says, after he, that's Enoch, begot Methuselah, which happened to be the oldest man to ever live, Enoch walked with God 300 years and has sons and daughters. So if you're thinking your journey in life is a long, arduous one, we're talking 300 years of living in the most wicked time recorded in human history. This Enoch did. And he walked with God 300 years. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch, listen, walked with God and he was not for God took him. One of the most perplexing accounts. Enoch, his name in the Hebrew means dedicated. So we get the idea that, that Enoch, his life was dedicated to walking so closely with God that the things that, that flowed out of his life by faith were pleasing to the Lord. And that's what the author of Hebrews tells us, that Enoch's testimony of his life was that he pleased the Lord. And I can't think of a better testimony that when I pass on, when my family remembers me, when my friends and the people I, I, was, I was connected with in life remember me, that they would say, you know, Josh wasn't a perfect man, Josh had some missteps, but Josh really sought to please God with his life. He wasn't seeking to please men, he wasn't seeking to please himself, he was seeking to live in such a way that honored and pleased and blessed the God who saved him. And I don't just speak that of myself. I think that's many of our hearts, if not all of our hearts here today. But as I think about Enoch being dedicated, simply put, boy, does it not take a dedicated life of faith to walk in a way that pleases God when you're surrounded by constant evil and wickedness? We know that the world was wicked because we have a commentary on Noah who's Enoch was leading up here to Noah and the flood, where the Bible tells us that the wickedness of man permeated the entire earth, and God saw the intent and the thoughts of man's heart that they were continually wicked all of the time. You see, when we look out in society and culture today, and we become filled with questions and, and mourning and uncertainty and, and disbelief at the wickedness we see permeating, the celebration of things that are abhorrent to God, and we look at smiles on people's faces, and then when tragedies do happen, and they come and they're, they're confused, what happened, what's gone wrong? Well, the reality is that since the beginning of mankind, we don't need science, we don't need philosophy, we don't need studies to tell us what the problem is. It's that the problem is there's wickedness in the hearts and minds of men and women. And, and that wickedness, the solution, of course, is the cleansing of the conscience by the blood of Jesus Christ. But when faith takes place, faith will look at a world gone awry and seek to walk in a way that pleases God. Now, we don't know much about Enoch, but Jude... And the New Testament tells us that Enoch was a prophet, that he received visions from God during his time. In fact, in Jude verses 14 and 15, if you jot it down for future reference, Enoch had a vision which he prophesied the return of the Messiah, 
of the Lord coming down to execute judgment with 10,000s of his saints upon the wicked and those who are ungodly and those who have rejected the salvation of the Messiah or of the Savior, of God. And so think about it. Enoch lived his life with a knowledge that one day the Lord would come to the earth he created, judge wickedness, and make all things right. And that knowledge that Enoch had motivated Enoch to live his life in such a way that he knew, I will one day stand before God. I will one day give an account. I will one day have to answer for my own actions. When I think of this, I think of the fact that we too, as Christians today, have been warned We know that the Lord is returning. We have the prophetic word given to us. The Lord will judge this world. The whole, well, I'll get there in a minute. But think about this. What was Enoch's reward for his faith that caused him to lead a life that pleased the Lord? Well, it's it's just very interesting language. Bible says he walked with God and he was not. For the Lord took him. Enoch is the one character in the Bible that we can say with confidence never tasted a physical death, but tasted that precursor of rapture. He was translated, he was transformed. I believe that Enoch is a prophetic picture of what Paul talks about when he says, we shall not all sleep, he told the Corinthians, or die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. And then to the Thessalonians, he writes, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air and forever we will be with the Lord. That is the promise of, of hope to all who walk by faith and their life of faith pleases the Lord because Methuselah, not Methuselah, but Enoch was a prophetic picture of that reality. But those who receive that promise are only those who are walking by faith now, believing that God is returning, believing that prophetic word. I know that it's difficult these days to walk with Christ in a perverse and wicked culture that is giving us and demanding so many other options. The tactic of the enemy will always, listen church, listen. The tactic of our enemy will always be to try to intimidate the church's voice into silent oblivion. Always. He'll give you guilt trips, he'll give you insecurities, he will make you think second thoughts, he will make, oh, you don't really know the truth, there's other ways, there's other... No, it's all to silence the voice of truth that might actually set people free from the deception of lies that they have been sold by the enemy to keep them under his influence and control. But if we believe his word, if we remain connected to the vine, if we walk with God as Enoch walked with God, Paul says to the Colossians that you would walk worthy of the Lord, listen, fully pleasing him in everything. But it's not our own effort. Don't think for a moment that God looked at Enoch and said, boy, that guy's really righteous. He's really moral. He's really good. 
I want to show him favor. No, it wasn't Enoch's works that gained him favor with God. The Bible's clear. Enoch got, gained favor with God because of his, what, his faith. And his faith in God and his promises birthed a life that flowed in a way that pleased God. Of course, this all requires faith in the unseen, which leads us to verse 6. When we have the testimony of Enoch's life is that he pleased the Lord, verse 6 is a commentary on that. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. I want you to note the word impossible. Notice he doesn't say it is improbable, it's unlikely, it's very difficult, it's challenging to please God. No, he says there is only one pathway to pleasing God. If you don't take that pathway, nothing else will, will please him. Zero. Not your religious performance, not your good works, not you were nice to your friend, not anything will please God if it's not done and birthed in a heart of faith. And what this really challenges me is that faith is not merely a mental belief system. You say, oh, I believe in God. You know what the Bible would tell you? You do, you do well that you believe in God. Even the demons believe in God and tremble. Demons are not filled with faith. They're not seeking to please and honor God. They're not seeking to expand the kingdom of God on the earth. No. Oh, of course they believe in God. Why? Because he's real. You should believe in God. All the evidence points to the existence of God. All the scientific evidence points to the existence of God. If you view it in the correct way, you will come to the conclusion at some point after looking up into the the stars or even hearing the voice of your own conscience that there is a creator who made us in his own image. But this kind of faith that pleases God, notice the nature of it. He who comes to God, we're told, must believe that he is. But notice it doesn't stop there. That's just not the only... I believe in God. I believe that he is. But what does he say? And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, God doesn't want to simply be obscure. He wants to be pursued. He wants us to enter into a relationship with him where we are believing that if we take a step of faith towards God, he will take a step towards us. Which means we can't be content with just settling True faith believes in the existence of God, but also in the character of God. It's one thing to say God is real, but the true test of faith is when somebody believes in God to the point that causes them to pursue him with their life. Because even though they can't see him, and even though they don't know the outcome, and even though they don't hear all the answers, their faith drives them to pursue a God who they believe is real. I could sum it up like this, and this is a challenging statement that I really thought through a lot in my own life, that there are many people who believe in God, but they don't believe God. What I mean by that is that they are not convinced that if they give themselves entirely to God, God will give himself entirely to them. How much would our life change, our priorities, our actions, our thoughts, our words, our deeds change if we believed not only that God is real, but that if I step towards him, if I open his word, if I'm in prayer, if I step out to serve him, if I take a step of faith 
to bless another person in Jesus' name, if I, if I move towards God, at the end of that road is a reward. Amen. It's a reward. Amen. That is greater than any other reward that I could receive from man or from this world. Many of us today, and I put myself in this circle, we get disappointed in God before we've taken the effort to actually seek and pursue him. Are you potentially guilty of this? We get frustrated that God didn't do A, B, C, and D like we thought he would, We get disappointed that God's plan was different from ours, but our disappointment comes before we've even taken the time to align our hearts with his, before we've even taken the time to what Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened to you. No, we've just become an entitled generation. God owes it all to me without any action towards him. I just deserve the blessings of God. I just deserve, hey, God is going going to pour his grace out upon us simply because that's who he is. But let me tell you something. Life will be a lot more content, a lot more fulfilled, a lot more satisfied, and you'll have much more perspective if you take the time to seek God, to pursue God, before you just take the time to act and then be disappointed that God didn't do it your way. Let's not make excuses for the, for the fact that we just didn't take the time to diligently seek him. I can honestly say, and many of you with me, that I have never regretted time where I've really diligently sought the Lord. I have regretted a lot of things that I've done out of the impulse of my flesh, out of the impulse of my worldly desires out of, that seems right, I'll just do it. Well, I want this, so I'll just do it, but never have I come out of a time with Jesus and gone, I wish I didn't do that. Not ever once. If we seek him, we will find him. If we seek him with all of our hearts. God gave us that promise, and that's the life of faith that pleases God to walk with him hand in hand, step by step, side by side through this life as Enoch did. Well, as we move on through the list, the second thing we learn through the life of Noah is that faith prepares for the unseen and unknown future. Faith prepares us for the unseen future. Verse seven, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. On your own, you can read Genesis chapter six through nine, the story of Noah. If you've gone to Sunday school or church for any amount of time, I'm sure you recall the story of Noah. It's a popular story conveys to us so many deep things about God's justice and God's mercy, foretells and foreshadows the salvation of the cross, what we might call the ark of Jesus. But notice the the state of the world. I mentioned it to you earlier, but in Genesis 6, verse 11 and 12, God says this about the earth in Noah's time. The earth was also corrupt before God. It was filled with violence 
So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Do you remember the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 17? As it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. If we put ourselves in Noah's shoes, God saw the earth, the continual wickedness of man, and their outright rebellion against his authority. God said this, we don't care what God said, we know best. This is what feels best to us. We don't need to bow the knee. We don't need to acknowledge God's truth. We just want to live our own way. Leave us alone. Let us have our cake and eat it too. And suddenly without, well, there was warning, which they refused to heed. God's judgment, his righteous judgment came upon them. And I want you to think about this in terms of Noah. We're told there that Noah was warned of things not yet seen. In other words, literally, no one had ever seen it rain on the earth. So Noah receives this warning from God, I'm going to just destroy the earth, I'm going to flood it. And and he can't really even fathom what um, what that looks like. He doesn't even understand it in the context of the physical world that he lived in and and what he understood. So not only does he not get it fully, but the tasks he's asked to do, build a boat, (laughs) this large, well, I need blueprints from God, obviously, because I don't don't know what a boat is. Where are we going to get the timber? How are we going to, it's going to take 50 plus years. How are we going to get the animal? I mean, all the questions of how, when, where, what, how, why. Noah was just a man like us, human flesh. Yet what kept Noah on his mission? Being ridiculed, being the outcast, being the one in the entire society of the world that was going against the flow, who was unique, who was different, who was preaching a message contrary to what the whole world was preaching. Five things. Don't let the number five scare you. They're quick. Notice this one verse gives us five characteristics of Noah's faith. And you guys, these are so relevant for us today. Number one, notice that he was warned of God's coming judgment. Number two, he was moved with godly fear. Number three, he prepared his family for salvation. Number four, he condemned the unbelieving world. And number five, he became an heir of righteousness through faith. And when we look at these five things, you and I have the same responsibility as Noah had. We too have been warned that one day God's judgment will come again. God said, I will judge the earth again. Not with water, but with fire. The Bible's clear. The judgment of God on the wicked world, as it was in the days of Noah, will come again to the world. And I want to tell you what, 1.5 degrees Celsius global warming has nothing on the global warming that will occur when God's wrath consumes the entire universe and the elements will melt away with fervent heat. I do not believe the universe began with a big bang, but I know it's going to end with one. And it's going to be very cataclysmic in its intentions. Jesus warned us that he's returning as a judge, 
but he's also told us that there is an ark of salvation. Thanks for joining us for Pastor Josh's study in the book of Hebrews. Throughout this book, we learn about idol worship. This is when you place a person, people, or things in place of God. Although idol worship was prevalent during the time Hebrews was written, it's still in our world today. From TV to clothes to food to family, it's easy to put other things in place of God. We hope today's teaching has made you more aware of this and that you've been encouraged to seek God first. If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. Once you're there, click on the media tab and follow the link to our YouTube page. You can also subscribe to our podcast and have the latest message from The Ascending Life as soon as it's available. Feel free to download these messages and take them with you on the go. If you're on social media, find links on our website to our social media pages. We'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram or Twitter to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Calvary Chapel. Our website again is theascendinglife.com. If you're in or near the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Church for our weekly service. Find all the information you need at our website, theascendinglife.com. Well, that's it for now. But there's so much more to learn on the next edition of The Ascending Life. So be sure to tune in again. Reaching up, we're pressing.